If you had told me when I was 18 that I'd be standing here today, I really, I wouldn't have believed it. When I was 18, I was uh, pretty heavily addicted to a lot of things, bound in sin, and uh, not a free person at all. And that's, that's what I want to share tonight, is how I came to that place and then from that place where God's brought me today. I was uh, born in Los Alamos, New Mexico in 1986. I'm 29 years old. When, um, when I was born, they say I was actually not a very pretty baby. And my um, <clears throat> uncle walked in and said, well, he looks like a monkey. And my mom says, well, I guess that makes you a monkey's uncle, doesn't it? <laughs> But um, Los Alamos is a, it's a small town. My grandmother lived just down the street. My aunt and uncle lived up the street, had wonderful friends within a mile of our house. I spent the summers playing soccer, swimming in the local pool, swimming at my grandmother's pool. Had a, had a fantastic life, had wonderful siblings for the most part. <clears throat> no, really did. We loved each other, looked out for each other most of the time, I'd say. Just a little bit of history. My, my mom and dad decided to homeschool because of um, some experiences that my older sister, Erin, who's actually plays the piano, had in a kind of a private school. So they brought us home, and we started trying to homeschool. And uh, it, it, was, it was a little rocky at first. We were trying to get used to it. And um, my dad, through the Internet, posted just a little question in a little chat room. It says, does anybody know of a church that supports homeschooling? Well, one of the sisters from the church here replied to that and said, we're a church of about 700 and we all homeschool. And that really caught mom and dad's attention. And I think I was five or six, I was nine at the time. So they, they began to interact. We made some visits down. And uh, some of the first impressions I remember of coming down here is, is feeling something I had never, I'd never felt before. I got excited about scoring a goal in soccer. I got excited about going to the pool and swimming. I, I got excited about those things. But this, was, this was a different feeling than it ever, I had ever come in contact with. I was very unfamiliar with it. Even though we sang a lot of the same songs as everybody here did, it, it was just a completely different experience, really. I remember one time we were visiting, we were in a Friday night meeting, and Jediah Stewart came over. We were both probably 10 years old. And he just he started praying for me. And I, I had never experienced in my life God's presence like that. And it, it was something that just flowed over my heart. And it, I, I was crying. I think he was crying. And it really, really moved me. And it, it kind of gave me a taste of what there was more to life than just swimming and soccer and you know, riding a bicycle and having a good time. So that was kind of the first impressions I had. I, I received the Spirit when I was 12, actually praying for my sister Erin, who received it the same night also. And uh, that, was a, that was a very powerful experience then too. When I turned 13, I remember we went out to eat at a Chinese restaurant, and um, someone made the comment, oh, well, now it's, it's the getting over the hump time. And I remember thinking, I am not going to give my parents any trouble. I'm going to make this as smooth as anybody's ever dreamed of. <laughs> and I couldn't have been more wrong in that assessment. You know, we lived, for a while, we lived up in Dallas, and we had this window, and just for, you know, it would, being 13 years old and not want to give my parents any trouble, 
I like to crawl out of the window and run around at night. And my parents are probably learning things I've never heard before. <laughs> but there's just things like that that, uh, as a kid, I had desires, and they were never. They they came along, and as I grew up, I began to be able to pursue those desires, and and I did. We uh, moved from Dallas. We moved down here. I remember 99, 98, somewhere around there, about the time we were constructing the sanctuary. And it, it wasn't so much that I, I wanted to do bad. I, I genuinely thought that I wanted to do good. But it was just that I couldn't really help myself in a sense. I always found myself where I really shouldn't be, you know, outside at night when you don't belong outside at night in the neighborhood. I worked as an early teenager. I worked extremely hard to be liked by everybody. I really, really wanted to be everybody's friend. So if so-and-so got a pair of pants, well, then I worked and weaseled my way until I got that pair of pants or these shoes or this hat or this belt or what, you know, whatever it would be. It just, it was very important to me to be liked, to be accepted, to be welcomed. And because of that, it really became a drive that instead of pursuing that feeling of God's presence, I pursued the acceptance of my friends, and I was I was very well accepted. I was a part of a very tight clique, and we did everything together. We pretend to go out hunting with dogs and run all over, you know, the neighborhood and just things like that. That uh, we got into, we started veering from a path that instead of taking us closer to God in that in that feeling, that feeling was becoming more and more distant. I really liked music. I loved listening to music, and we had this old truck that was an old Chevy truck. I loved loved to drive it, listen to whatever music we were listening to in there. And I remember one time, it's probably the closest time, one of the bigger shakeups I've had up to my life in that point. We were, I was coming out of a driveway, and a cement truck was barreling down the road, and I thought, I'm going to see how close I can get behind, pull out behind that truck. And so I did. At the second, about halfway when he was past me, I slammed the gas and pulled out right behind him. It was, you know, maybe that far from his bumper. All I didn't realize was there was a cement truck right behind him. And it, it scared me pretty good. And I remember thinking, man, what, what would have happened if my life had ended then? What, where, you know, where would I end up? But the thoughts really didn't, they didn't really last that long. I was back to pursuing what I wanted to do. As we turned, you know, 13, 14, 15, 16, I really remember brothers that I respect and love now. I could see a concern in their eyes for my for my well-being, and I avoided that. I, I didn't I didn't want to trust that. I wanted to kind of move away from that. I thought I knew better. I thought I could handle my life the way I wanted to live it. But it, it really it really bothered me because I knew they saw me in a way that I didn't see myself. I was 16, very athletic, very strong, or at least I thought so. And it just, I thought I owned the world, and I thought I could do whatever I wanted to do. And their concern really got in the way with a lot of things that I wanted to do. I wanted to pursue becoming a, a builder and becoming a very good at sports. and. Those were very important to me at that time of life, being accepted, like I said. And their concern, it, it was kind of a little 
thorn in the side. I was always wishing that they would just see I really, I really am okay. There's, there's nothing wrong. Everything's okay. Everything's right. But deep inside, you knew, I think they knew, that, that everything wasn't okay. And um, we were in, we were actually in Los Alamos with Brother Robert Ann's. And I was in the middle of all this going on. And I remember they started praying for one of my friends. So I just went over and I just started praying for him because I thought that's what you're supposed to do. And again, an incredible presence came down. And, and it just, it, it moved me in a way I not was not familiar with. And I remember, I remember the feeling just growing and growing in my chest until it was, it was about to explode. I was crying. And I remember when I opened my eyes, I looked around, Brother Robert's eyes were shining. He said, well, Brian, he's getting down in there, isn't he? And I said, well, I guess, I guess so. I don't, I don't really know what it is. <laughs> you know, it'd be a lot easier to tell you and show you if I had pictures I could show or something like that of a, a pretty cocky 16-year-old who thought he could do whatever he wanted to do and get away with it, and for the most part I did. But it, the more I pursued those, those worldly desires, I came into brushes with a very dark spiritual world where I'd wake up and feel like, in a dream or reality, I don't really know. But it made me to know that there was a power that was dark and wanted to run my life. And I, I kind of got the sense, I remember thinking then, that the more I gave myself to what I wanted to do, the stronger grip that darker power had on my heart. It unsettled me a little bit, but it, nothing was really, really shaking me at that point. I remember one meeting I was in, people were praying for each other, it was very powerful. I was just kind of standing against the wall trying to more or less stay out of the, off the radar there because pursuing God, being one with God's people was not what I wanted to do. I just, I really wanted to move on from the church here, find the life out there. I was just kind of biding my time until the right time came. So I really kind of wanted to slip under the radar and just really not be noticed too much. I remember <clears throat> Brother Warren Owen Came over and we came over and he started asking me how I was doing. And of course, I was doing great. Even if I wasn't. And he said, "Amen." Well, and he started praying for me. And the thing that stuck in my mind is he said, "Lord, open his eyes to see what's inside him." I thought, "God, what? What is inside of me?" Because at, at 16, the word pride, the word humility, the word repentance—those are very powerful words. They they mean a lot. But to me, then, they really didn't mean anything. I mean, to say I'm proud, to me then, meant as much to me as saying, well, you know, I'm a tree. It just had no reality to me. I, it just, it was, it was meaningless. I, I just, the, my mind was so warped, I guess you would say, or um, on a certain track, that these words like that and realities that are real, they weren't to me. It was just a, it just wasn't, it didn't mean anything to me. I, at 17, I was willing to cross pretty much any line I came up against in terms of boundaries, things my parents had set. And, uh, you know, I, there's really not any reason for details. But you know, in my, in my life, I was in a very dark place. Um, I was probably as close then to leaving God and what He had 
as ever. Um, my relationship with my parents was all a farce. It wasn't uh, reality in terms of an open, honest thing where I could share my heart with them. And they would speak to me. It was just a, uh, I was really just biding my time until I shipped out. I was into a lot with my friends. We lifted weights. We ran. We did a lot of jogging. Very active in those kind of things. And uh, God was. God was very distant. God was very unreal. The feelings I had felt first coming to the church were just a distant memory, really, that really didn't have much pull on me anymore. And um, around that time when I was 17, Brother Robert Ann's was diagnosed with a brain tumor. I was very close, actually, to Daniel, Daniel Ann's. And so we were very involved with their family and helped take care of them. After a Sunday meeting, we went over to his house, and being around someone who's that close to the end was extremely uncomfortable for me. There was pretty much just about anything. I mean, I'd rather be cleaning the cow's pen than be around someone who was on the edge, because it makes you think, where, where am I going? What am I doing? I remember we walked into his room, and he was in a hospital bed, and he couldn't, he couldn't really move his head, his hands, he could move a little bit. And my dad sat down on the bed, and Brother Butch Tyndall was there, and I went across the room far away from them as I could. And Dad said, well, why don't you go sit by Brother Robert's bed? And um, I said, okay, whatever, I didn't want to cause trouble. So I went over there and I sat down, and um, Brother Robert was half reclining, and his hand started moving across the uh, bed towards me and dad said he wants to hold your hand and I really, I really didn't want to hold his hand but I, I reached out and I took it and he grabbed my hand and um, it had been probably six years since I'd really felt God's presence in a, in a very deep way in my heart and Brother Robert looked at me and I felt like he was looking past all of the sin everything I was addicted to and and loved me. And you know, I couldn't handle that. There was a, I broke down, I was, I was weeping, I was crying, and um, I thought, thought was, if there is a God, and this is His love, I want to know that God. What, whatever it takes, I want, I want to know that God. It was shortly after that, in a Friday night meeting, something moved on me, and I got up and sang the song, Consume Me. <clears throat> and I genuinely wanted, after that experience, to try and know God. You know, all these songs like Consume Me, or He Breaks Every Chain, or There Can Be Miracles. I sang those songs, but they didn't mean anything to me. There was no reality to them for me. But I, I genuinely, I wanted, I wanted to make an effort. And um, I remember... God's presence falling on me in that meeting and I, I felt like I had made the right step. And after that meeting, I walked by a certain relationship that was a downfall in my life and I, I could feel, I could feel the pull towards that relationship and I could feel the pull towards what I knew was right and I went the wrong way. And from uh, 17, from that time on down till I was 18 and a half, my life pretty much tanked. It was I was falling asleep in meetings. 
I was completely disinterested. I knew God had given me a chance, and I knew I'd blown it. And I didn't feel, and I didn't know that God would give me another chance if I had humbled myself. But I pretty much had thrown in the towel and was moving on from there. So from there, where I was saying earlier, I was 18, as dead as anybody really can be. I had no, no life of God, no relationship with God. It, was, it meant nothing to say I was sorry. It was just, it was just words on a page. There was, there was no meaning to it. And somebody, thank God, brought pretty much a lot of what was going on to my parents. And they, I was given a choice. Should I, do I want to go ahead and move on or do I want to try and stay? I'm not sure why I did because I was as calm as could be, but I chose to stay. And I felt like if I could ever just get back to that place where I felt God's presence again, I, I could make it. But it was, I wasn't there, and it was just a dry, dry land where I was, and I, I chose to stay. From there, I genuinely I gave everything I had to overcome everything I was bound by. And I would, I would be out there during the day, something would happen, I would go to my dad and say, okay, this is what, this is what happened. And I felt a certain power in that. I felt a, a certain move, momentum forward. But there was one temptation I could not shake at all. It, it, every time it came, it was like a train coming down the tracks. And I would stand there determined, knowing that I'm, I'm supposed to resist this. It's supposed to flee from me. This is, this is how you do it. And every single time, it would just obliterate me, completely blow me off course. And I would take me a couple weeks to recover. And we would be back at the same thing over and over again. So I, I was in a position where I was trying to do right, but I didn't have the power. I didn't have anything in me to propel me forward. It was, I'd had an experience and received the Spirit, but it was, a, it was kind of a dry, plugged up well, really. I remember trying and trying and trying again to do what was right, and it just, it wasn't happening for me. And, I would, I would get discouraged and say, okay, that's it. I'm, I'm done. I'm through. Then I'd come down here to Spring of Hope. I started coming down there soon after they opened it. But the Aussie would minister a word like, don't get stuck in the slew of despond. Help is on the way. And it started sparking a little bit of faith in me. And I remember genuinely trying. I, I tried everything to overcome what I was bound by. I called. I would call Daniel in the morning. I would call the Warren at night for 40 days. I would go 40 days with one meal a day fasting. I did multiple four-day fasts. I did some five-day fasts, lots of three-day fasts, trying everything I could think of to break free of the chains that I had stepped into, and they were big, heavy chains that wrapped around my soul. I was really becoming like the rich young ruler in that I was trying to do good. In some ways, I was. But Jesus told him that the one thing he lacked was to follow Jesus. And that's really, that's really what I lacked because I could, I could do a good deed. I could, I could try to hold it together. But it was all obeying a certain feeling and a certain mindset that was my own. It wasn't truly coming to God and saying, God, what, what would you have for me to do? And obeying that to the best that I could. I went to the front so many times here. I went to the front so many times in the youth meetings that we used to have Thursday nights at the Aussie. 
He told me he was sick of seeing me up here. <laughs> a lot awesome to say that. I guess it's pretty bad. <laughs> but I was very desperate. I wanted, I wanted to live for God. If, if there was really anything I could, I'll, I'll give you an example of the place I was in. We went to a youth meeting. And Brother Austin ministered about the tax collector and the Pharisee that went up to pray. Because of years of calculating and judging just right, what do my parents know? What does my minister know? Okay, they know this, they know that, so that means they're going to think this, so I'll say that, but I'm going to hide the rest of the mile and a half of stuff that they really can't find out about behind. Because I'd spent years living in that, I was very calculated in my responses, in my expressions, and everything like that. I wasn't a free person at all. So the Aussie ministered about the Pharisee and the tax collector coming up to pray, and one beat his chest. So I thought, okay, the way I'm going to humble myself is I'm going to stand here, and I was on the front row, and I'm going to beat my chest and call out to God. And so I did that, and I made a complete fool of myself, but I wasn't any more free because I was obeying my mind. My mind, and there, there may have been something of God in that, but by the time I processed it and just obeyed what I thought was best, God, God wasn't in that. It says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. God has a way for us to humble ourselves, and it's, it's His way. It's not just, okay, well, this is what I'm going to do, and that's how you're humbled. I probably continued like that in that state for about three years, and I'm afraid I was wearing out my ministers, I was wearing out my friends trying to help me because I was, I genuinely wanted to do good and I felt like they knew that I wanted to do good but I just could not overcome. I honestly believe to this day that it was because someone prayed and touched God for me that um, what happened next really turned me around. We had gone to Colorado for a family vacation, great time hiking, fishing, and when we got back, I walked into my room and I sat down on my bed. And as clear as anything, I knew that I was going to give an account before God for my life. And I wasn't going to just be judged by how well I tried. But I was going to be judged by the love that I had given, a selfless love to others. Did I genuinely, truly care and try and help and love others? And I had to... I believe someone touched God for me because I don't know where that where it came from. We were just I hadn't been in meetings and I sat down on my bed and it just it just descended on me. And I knew as clear as anything. I remember being extremely shaken and I went up to the sanctuary trying to gather my thoughts and pray and Sister Regina Titley was in the sanctuary and she was singing, God has smiled on me, he has set me free. And I just remember the torment I was in because I knew God wasn't smiling on my past. I knew He was willing to forgive it. I knew He was willing to give me another chance. But just having my past forgiven wasn't going to answer the problem of who I was wasn't changing. And that's what I knew is that it's not the good things that I'm going to do. It's, it's who I am as a person that's going to stand measured against a pure, selfless love. And the judgment's going to make the call. And I knew where I'd end up. And the reality of that terrified me. I remember I went and talked to Daniel after that, and I was telling Daniel, this happened, and what, what do I do? How do I make it right? And Daniel was very used to interacting with me on a very intellectual level. And he said, well, you know, this and this. I said, Daniel, you don't realize I've got to do something. Something 
has got to change. And I remember feeling God's presence. He said, Brian, God, show this to you. I said, I know that, but what do I do? And I became, I searched, I started seeking God with everything I had in me to find out, God, what do I do to make it right? How can I atone for my past life? What, what do I do? How do I, where do I go? It wasn't long after that, something very small happened. And it really irritated me. It bothered me. Something I had done, it was a temptation I had fallen. And I went to pray. And uh, when, I, when I was praying, it was like I could finally see. I could finally see after years of being a manipulator, of lying, of cheating, of stealing, of doing whatever I wanted to do, I saw the man inside. And it was like, I, was, I remember exactly where I was sitting. It was, in a, um, it was in our little guest house. And I was praying, trying to see, God, why did I do this? What, what happened? And it was like the bottom dropped out of everything. And I descended into a very dark, dark feeling and presence. And, and it was like that. That's me. That, that darkness, that, that wickedness is... That's me. I thought I was a decent person. I thought I wanted to do right. But there... <laughs> it was an earth-shattering revelation that no matter how much good I may want to do, who I am at the core of my being, it's repulsive to God. God is not... He loves me. He cares. That's why He brought me to that place. But the carnal man inside, it was repulsive to God. And I, I loved that carnal man. It was who I nurtured. It's who I cherished. It's who I served. And I finally saw it for what it was. And I remember sitting there and thinking, God, it is over. I might as well call the Lord and tell Him it's done. Because who I am is so bad. There is no hope. There just isn't any hope. And there's not hope for that carnal man inside each one of us. And then God's presence, it was like a piercing light. So pure and clean in the midst of my dirty, filthy self. And I turned and said, Jesus, is this you? And it was. Jesus came down in there. And He started pouring through my soul and washing all that away. And I had found God. God had found me. In a place that was very dirty, very dark, very filthy. He came down in fact, and he washed my soul. I remember lifting my hands and feeling a presence and a feeling just flowing all that out of me. The desire for the sin I had so relentlessly pursued was gone. I knew I was a new person. I knew I was changed. For days after that, when I would pray, I would feel God's presence. And I didn't want to turn around from that. I wanted that more than I wanted anything in my entire life. And so I, I began to give myself to that. And it wasn't, it wasn't long after that that baptism came up. And I remember, I remember making the commitment to God that I was going to live a right life. I was putting my whole life into His hands. And that for the rest of my days, it would belong to Him and whatever it took. To belong to Him, that's what I was going to do. You have to realize, I'm 24. All my friends, Ben, Moriah, Grace, Paula, Jed, Tim, everybody I was friends with had been baptized before me. And I was, I was 24. I was nearly the oldest unbaptized person in the church. 
I remember thinking, God, 24 years of self-seeking centeredness is about to be washed away. And I, I walked up to the baptism tank and uh, Brother Warren was on my left and Brother Safrir was on my right. And I gave my hand to Brother Safrir and I remember the grip he grabbed it with. And I realized in that moment it was because I put out my hand and someone had grabbed it like that, that. That's where I was. And I remember Brother Warren saying, in the name of Jesus, I now baptize you for the remission of all of your sins. And I went down and I came up. <clears throat> a new person washed clean of all that. It was, it was gone. And the temptation that had so plagued my heart was completely gone. When the train of temptation came barreling down the tracks, I stood firm and it fell off the tracks. And I knew, I knew God was for me, wasn't against me. And you know recently, God, God's been speaking that song to me beyond the open door is a new and fresh anointing. Hear the Spirit calling you to go. And that's, that's where I want to go. That's where I want to live is in that fresh anointing beyond the open door that God's calling us. And you know, God has an open door for everybody. He's calling all of us on. He's calling all of us higher. I hope that's an encouragement. That's pretty much what I had to, to say. Yeah.